0: Welcome to the Retail Media Moguls podcast brought to you by Platform 195. We share trends and strategies across retail media to help you accelerate your brand growth. I'm your host, Stuart Adamson. So welcome to the latest episode of the Retail Media Moguls podcast. I'm your host Stuart Adamson, founder and CEO of Platform 195. Today I'm delighted to be joined by the head of UK Commerce and Global Partnerships Emir at Google, my friend Henry Eccles, Henry's worked with Google for over 17 years in roles such as Head of YouTube and Google Plus Marketing and Head of Market Insights. Henry delivered extensive media consultancy to Google's top clients and Europe's top advertisers across multiple sectors, including FMCG, retail, travel, telco, and auto. Henry also designed, built, and launched large-scale research platforms across France, Spain, and Italy, allowing for lower cost and faster turnaround reporting on advertising effectiveness. Henry, welcome to the podcast. Hi Stuart, good to see you. Good to see you too. Look, thanks for coming on. I think you and I go back quite a long way, actually. I think we've been banging the drum for retail media for probably the best part of 10 years, certainly in the sort of UK and European markets. It's actually been really interesting sort of probably for you to give us a little bit of background or a bit of colour to that career journey that you've had and then how that sort of evolved. You dredged out my early years
1: there, but I guess going back even further, i I worked at Sky TV for a little bit. I had an ill-fated career in finance, which I didn't much enjoy and didn't last long at. And then before I joined Google, I was at a small marketing and research consultancy. And then, yeah, I was seven years in our Google marketing organization, doing various roles from our market insights team to some of our consumer products, Google Plus and YouTube you mentioned. And then I joined our partnerships team in 2014, looking after commerce media owners. And more latterly, I now look after not just commerce, but also our largest UK news media organizations as well.
0: Yeah. And I think we probably met in about 2016 or something when I was transforming the brochure contributions that Thomas Cook was getting. So the legacy sort of brochure catalogue model, that's where we sort of architected. I think we shifted out of turn, I think we were using back then for our audience extension, our Thomas Cook audience product, And then obviously we then got thrown this hot potato of how to transform the brochures. And that's where we got our heads together, didn't we? And worked out how we were going to to make that Yeah, case. I think you were
1: an interesting one because I think you were, as you say, you were using Turn. And my view is that you needed to use Google Ad Manager, obviously. And then it wasn't just Google Ad Manager, you stuck together the cornucopia of Google's ad tech on buy and sell site to, to, what do you guys call it? It was Hotel Everywhere, right?
0: Hotel Everywhere, yeah. It's Thomas Cook, yeah. sir hotel product. It was very successful, actually. And now is the, you know, the model on what we built Platform 195 and up the Dad's on was to how to help retailers scale that long-tailer hotels that, or sorry, long-tailer suppliers that might only have small budgets. But yes, I mean, that's really interesting. So in that period, I mean, you've obviously, you and I used to sit there and wonder like, you know, what's going on across the market? How are these, we could see a lot going on in groceries, but have you seen the market evolve? How have you seen that evolve with other retailers across that time?
1: I think it's slow or it was slow, certainly up until the pandemic. So I was always banging the drum that, you know, retailers were showing, you know, indiscriminate images of products to all users at all times in all geographies. And that really didn't make a great deal of sense in the digital world. And that actually, you know, transforming all of their merchandising placements on site by serving them using that server such that they could actually, you know, use you know, consumer data to kind of target you know, people who might be interested in one particular product over another. It was mind-boggling to me that the retailers were so behind, were so advanced in how they did marketing and how quickly they'd adopted digital marketing to market their own wares to consumers. But i had kind of almost sort of neglected the fact that they had, you know, retail.com domains, which were in and of themselves media properties. And, you know, they, they were monetizing them, but they were monetizing them via kind of, you know, traditional analog trade marketing value exchanges rather than actually having a, media model because ultimately you know they weren't just selling carrots or toasters they were selling eyeballs and audiences but they were very slow i think to kind of adopt that mindset and it wasn't probably until the start of the pandemic when obviously there was a huge shift in consumer behavior because obviously everyone was buying everything online at that point so it was obviously a, a huge kind of shot in the arm for e-commerce more generally and then you know with that came also you know gpr cookie deprecation an understanding that actually first party data and specifically sales data that retailers own you know, is ultimately the currency upon which you know media is bought sold and traded mm-hmm. so i think yeah you know, we're now starting to see you know post pandemic you know with the demise of third party cookies and the ability to track cross site has really kind of accelerated and sharpened the minds of you know of everyone within the retail sector. And that's obviously all been galvanized by, I guess, Amazon, who are the original gangster here, who sort of quietly trotted out, you know, a, a media business that's, you know, 35 million or 35 billion plus, you know, a year. So I think it's made everyone sort of sit up and watch, look and listen. And, and now there seems to be something of an arms race to, you know, monetize their, or, you know, transform their legacy trade marketing contributions from suppliers and make that kind of fit for the
0: digital age. And how is that going? Do you think are they managing to do that? Are they seeing it? Are getting it?
1: Well, so I think certainly most of the retailers that I speak to are very much kind of on the early steps of their journey. I think they are getting it. I think the biggest thing that all of the retailers have struggled with is ultimately the skill set required to kind of you know stand these types of businesses up inside of you know a retail business. You know, retailers are generally you know merchandising teams, buying teams, you know as I say, like they're not necessarily media professionals. So finding, you know, media professionals that work or that, you know, are fully embedded within a with a retailer, you know, that's really about importing those skill sets and, and bringing in, you know, that know-how and knowledge and experience from elsewhere. I think you're seeing like a large amount of hiring in the space as well, right? You know, you'll see retailers, you know, are essentially creating media group operations within their businesses and starting to create sort of governance around, like, obviously what that, retail media team you know can do how they work you know cross-functionally with you know the security teams you know the e teams the marketing teams you know the buying teams to put together a proposition that you know is hopefully incremental for them as a retailer and drivers drives additional value to you know to their supply base all at the same time as you know making sure that they're offering a customer experience that you know is better than you know what they've been offering previously
0: yeah and what sectors do you think are doing Wellness now are you is it still groceries leading the way? Well, or it, think the original early
1: adopters were travel, and I'm always kind of flabbergasted when I go and talk to retailers and say, look, you know, why aren't you looking at Expedia and you know, booking and Kayak and Skyscanner and you know all of the travel companies because you know they were very quick to understand that you know offering kind of marketing services to airlines and hotels and car hire companies, you know, when travel essentially stopped being a sort of omni-channel type activity. You know, I don't know when the last time anyone had an aeroplane ticket, you know, it's very much, you know, a QR code or a digital boarding pass now. It's been a virtual product for a long, long time. So I think the travel sector, you know, probably by virtue of the fact that, you know, margins within flights, especially is you know, super tight, were the early adopters here. I think where you see the greatest kind of acceleration of, you know, retail media amongst, you know, kind of pure play retailers or real, you know, retailers who sell physical product, is those who are multi-channel. The big grocers, you know, the Walmart's targets, you know, Sainsbury's, Tesco's are this well, they've been quick to adopt by virtue of the fact that, you know, they realize that, you know, they have huge scale and they have the data that they want. I think the the grocery sector is obviously the most interesting because that's where the most amount of money sits. You know, FMCG or CPG manufacturers and suppliers are the ones with these, you know, these vast marketing budgets. P&G for many years was the largest advertiser on the planet and obviously it's a habitual you know purchase buying crisp buying ice cream etc which is somewhat distinct from sort of consumer electronics or fashion or other categories which are somewhat more sporadic but no I think we're seeing an across the board adoption of retail media with no one sector kind of outpacing the other as I said with the exception of travel who I think have kind of been there and done that already and they are definitely the most advanced I think the only other thing I'd say as well is that, you know, it's a hell of a lot easier to stand up a retail media offering if all of your conversions happen online. So, you know, any retailer who is digital only and does all of their transactions online, obviously the, you know, the measurement, you know, closed loop measurement is often talked about, you know, closing that loop between, you know, a media impression and a sale is a hell of a lot easier when it all exists within the digital world. So if you're a grocer and you've got, you know, the vast majority of your transactions happening, you know, offline in a store, Then onboarding that data and linking it through to a digital media impression is just a lot harder, a lot more kind of cost intensive. Match rates are a significant issue. And that's obviously been one of the reasons why we perhaps haven't seen quite as much of the FMCG or the CPG spend pour into the kind of retail media space. But I think that is starting to change.
0: How is that attribution piece now for retailers? Because it's always obviously there's the, you know, or certainly for retail media organizations when they're selling partnerships across their platforms and beyond are they actually being able to demonstrate success there and or is it still very much a halo effect of you know we've sold this much product this month how are they developing so that for
1: those, those will have all of their sales online i think it's easy and then it's a choice as to how much transparency you give back to your end supplier i think if you're a grocer it is genuinely difficult right it's like you need to have a mechanism like a loyalty card most obviously to ensure that you are you know capturing all of your sales but you know You can't assume that one hundred percent of your shoppers necessarily going to adopt your loyalty card program. You know, increasingly, like you know, privacy and consumer awareness of privacy means that you're never going to have a one hundred percent visibility on all of the transactions that happen and be able to tie that to an identity. And just because you can tie it to an identity in the offline world, you know, you still then got to bridge the offline to the online world as well, and that's increasingly difficult. So obviously, with the demise of the third party cookie, the idea of just yeah, you know, being able to, you know, find match keys, you know, around, you know, PII and cookies is, is increasingly difficult. You know, we're seeing, I think, a lot of, you know, clean room providers, you know, to basically onboard data in a privacy safe way. You know, that's an interesting space, but, you know, certainly my experience is, is that match rates between the offline world and the online world are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And whilst they don't need to be, because I think we now very much live in a you know a predictive era rather than a precision era, by virtue of the fact that you know true deterministic marketing anywhere and on the web is basically not possible for yeah you know, for good reasons um, around GDPR. There's just a hesitancy. I think sometimes there's the belief that yeah you know, one-to-one marketing and and purely deterministic stuff is the holy grail, and I guess it is, but that's at odds with you know the law and consumer privacy expectations. So. I think it's a hump that retailers and, and especially their suppliers need to get over. That actually, yeah, any investment they make in in media, whether that's you know TV, outdoor, online, is always going to be you know a broad targeting cohort, and therefore you know the results that they get back from it are all going to be at an aggregate level. So I think yeah, I think it's still a challenge. And I always say to you know to my clients, it's like let's not per- let's not have perfect get in the way of better. Yeah, you know, ultimately you need to be able to offer. accountability on marketing and media spend. And you can. So you should be able to sell against that with confidence. You don't need to have 100% precision in this space. Marketing is not a precision science.
0: So obviously, you have on-site ad server technology with Google Ad Manager, as well as you've got, obviously, DV360 and the whole of the Google marketing platform for audience extension. Are you seeing retailers now doing a lot more in audience extension? Are they still doing sort of owned and operated inventory? Are they evolving like that? How's that?
1: So I think I've seen the vast majority of retailers, let's go to offsite first, because it means we don't have to touch the retail.com domain. And therefore, I don't need to go and ask permission from the e team or the security team or anyone else like that. So let's go and do the offsite piece first. And then they realize that actually that requires quite a lot of you know standing up of technology getting your data in in good order and it's also quite a tough sell as well because why is buying you know youtube or facebook or you know just a third-party display and video is that the stuff that suppliers really want and ultimately i think what retailers have realized is that the stuff that everyone really wants is the lowest funnel and media that you know that anyone can offer you know, and you know ultimately that's why you know, Google search has you know, been a very successful product down the years. And I think what we're seeing is that retailers have now said, you know what, well, actually, retailer.com search is, you know, is a highly potent you know, media type and historically hadn't been monetized in any way, shape or form. So a retailer's on-site display, as I mentioned at the start, I think always has been monetized, albeit in an analog way. So retailers were saying, well, hang on a second, is it going to be incremental if I rip out my content management system and put in publisher ad server? Am I not just delivering you know, ads in a different way, but still collecting the same money, which I think is, you know, is fair critique. Whereas within search on a retailer's site, that was always essentially an undermonetized or an unmonetized space. And you know, the advent of you know Amazon sponsored product again, I think sort of has sort of shown the way to most retailers that you know that they are increasingly going to their are owned and operated first, not least because you know it's 100 percent margin for them. And it's kind of increasingly quite easy just to implement, you know, a a sponsored product ad solution on site and start generating money, you know, from day one and then perhaps use that revenue to kind of then think about expanding into kind of the offsite space, which is ultimately where I think the real opportunity sits because there's very little inventory really within retailer.com search. Like you only search for a mattress once every 10 years, you know, you often searching for, you know, flights or, you know, TVs or other things, you know, very sporadically. The only thing that you, um, you know, that you buy very habitually is grocery, but then actually grocery, the volumes of grocery sales are very low. You know, there aren't that many people that go to, you know, com and search for beer as a proportion of all those people who go into the Tesco stores and actually buy beer. So mm. if you're looking to market a new variant of, you know, Brewdog or stellar Artois or whatever it might be, the way that you get reach and frequency is not likely going to be on a grocery.com site it's going to be you know off-site you know on youtube you know on social on connected tv increasingly on third-party display and video where you know traditionally you know all of these fmcg brands went for you know for tv to get you know and frequency against the target audience and you can now do that digitally you know very well so i think that's where the real money sits is when you know the FMCGs start to understand that actually region frequency digitally, but with measurement and with, you know, targeting based on consumer insight and based on purchase data is historical purchase data. That's where the big opportunity is, is at the top of the funnel. But yeah, what we see, I guess, initially at the start of this kind of movement is retailers looking to kind of fill the bottom of the funnel, which is understandable.
0: Yeah. And obviously you've had your own journey with the Google tech, obviously the sponsored listing product now sort of stood down, but obviously you've still got Google ad manager that can deliver on site. What's the Google view at the moment around retail media tech?
1: So, I mean, obviously, we have a huge number of various technologies for on-site ad managers, you mentioned, and then we have all of our off-site buying technologies, DV360, Google Ads, advertiser ad server, and in, in campaign manager. I think really the interesting places around is really around all of the data and how you house your data and how you curate your data, both for targeting and for measurement. So we're seeing you know, increasingly, you know, not just retail media clients, but all of our clients, you know, adopting, you know, BigQuery and, you know, cloud, you know, customer databases, customer data platforms, and making their data as usable as possible, you know, trying as much as possible to having a, you know, single view of the customer to ultimately drive the, you know, the right message, the right user at the right time. Obviously, AI, you know, is a hot topic at the moment, but, you know, being able to have all of your data and and use artificial intelligence and machine learning to help both with you know what creative to show a user, know, and sort of the predictive nature, you know, that you can harness from all of our AI tools that you know can sit, you know, across all of your data. I think is is ultimately where we're seeing you know a lot of innovation and lots of really exciting stuff. And it's definitely coming back to my point around being you know predictive rather than precision. I think you know that's where we're seeing a lot of clients kind of really put a lot of investment in that because it's that's not just for their retail media you know if they have a bank of suppliers but actually increasing as I mentioned at the start you know many of these retailers are very very sophisticated advertisers so you know starting to see you know the the coming together of you know the advertising brain within a retail organization and the sort of retail media or partnership side of the retailer you know starting to share expertise share tech and ultimately you know it is just one data source um, that they're they're working off
0: So I mean, obviously, we've got the removal of cookies in, I think it's probably a year, unless you push it back again. When is it now? April next year is I think is the Uh, the second half 2024, I believe is the May June next year. What impact do you think that's going to have across the board here? And is it going to push Google into a sort of primary position with all the other tech you've got? Or is it going to have a huge impact on your business and others?
1: That's a good question. I don't think anyone really knows what's truly going to happen so i mean obviously you know we have our privacy sandbox you know set of apis and solutions and they work you know i'm told and believe and we've released some blog posts around you know the efficacy of sandbox apis you know versus existing cookie technology and we're not seeing the same level of performance you know so i think there's a lot of encouraging signs to say that you know when cookies do go away actually digital marketing is by no means, yeah, broken. I think it will, you know, live on and thrive. And and as I said, like, you know, we don't live in a one-to-one precision era anymore. It's, you know, it's very much around like, you know, modeling and predicting, you know, what audiences might be where. So, and I think for for Google owned and operated, you know, we have some, you know, interesting products. You know, Customer Match, Enhanced Conversions, which allow, you know, an advertiser to, you know, to bring their data together with Google's data in obviously a privacy-safe way and get the fullest view of their you know, marketing funnel and conversions as possible. And I think, you know, we're, we're starting to see as well with, you know, with some of the other APIs for off-site, you know, so if you're a retail media you know, client wanting to move into, you know, off media, you know, and third parties, you know, we've announced a beta product called Pair, which is Publisher Advertiser Identity Reconciliation, which essentially, you know, leverages essentially room technology to bring together a, you know, a publisher's data and an advertised data in a privacy safe way, you know, so neither the publisher has sight of the advertiser's data or the advertiser has sight of the publisher's data, but it does allow, you know, for ultimately the, you know, the targeting of the crossover, you know, between the publisher and the advertiser. And, you know, I think that's a really promising space to see that actually, you know, a retailer, if they are looking to, you know, do partnerships with a large, you know, news media organisation or anyone else can actually still bring their first party data to bear on third party media owners. And then obviously, you know, continue to track that all the way through to the conversion as those users, you know, click and, and move through to the retailer site and hopefully convert.
0: And did you say that's live now? Or that's in beta? What did you? What was it's in beta.
1: Was? Yeah. So I mean, it's, I think we have a blog post out about PAIR, P A I R publisher, advertiser, identity reconciliation. So that's interesting. And I think you know you'll see a lot more in the space, both from Google, but you know, obviously, there are you know there are sort of concerted industry-wide efforts obviously to ensure that you know the cookie deprecation which is obviously as you say for the end of second half of next year will mean that the business can continue as usual you know it's always it's always i think being the google view that actually it doesn't obviously there's a, a lot of eyeballs on you know privacy sandbox and obviously what's happening with cookie deprecation and and rightly so but ultimately you know, as a, as a lay person or as a, you know, if you're a small business or, or any marketer, you shouldn't really necessarily need to know the ins and outs of how it all works. It should just work. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's mm-hmm. the aim and ambition that we have is that that it will just continue to work and that the methodologies behind how it works, they are complicated, but at the same time, you know, obviously they will uphold all of the, uh, you know, the stringent privacy, you know, laws and, you know, and best practice. So... I think it's going to be an interesting time. How it all plays out is, I think, yeah, remains to be seen. It's going to be really interesting to see how retailers adapt and what they do, and then also, you know, what do the publishers do as well? What do the content owners do? You know, we're seeing some interesting partnerships between Sky, ITV, Channel Four with retailers as well around connected TV inventory. So, um, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see, you know, some of the large kind of broadcast reach type. You know, news and content publishers also thinking about how they can partner up with retailers to ensure that, you know, that there's a good advertising canvas for the retail media beyond the retailer.com.
0: I mean, it's going to be really exciting how that this whole data cleanroom thing evolves over the next sort of probably three months, three to six months, really. Obviously, there's you guys, as Amazon, and then there's specialist players as well. But, I mean, for us, even building our own roadmap on our technology You know, there's a big piece of sort of we're building bits, but it's just a kind of wait and see because you can go and spend a huge amount of money developing something that suddenly is there anyway and has all the backing of a Google or an Amazon. So it's going to be really interesting. But your role has actually broadened now, hasn't it, with the sort of interesting to hear you talk about those news publishers, because I believe you've sort of got got an added so I,
1: I now look after our commerce media owners, but also largest UK news publishers as well. That's really um, interesting.
0: So is that bringing, is that in order that you can bring those two together, like you've just sort of talked about cross commerce, retail and news media?
1: I mean, well, why don't we go with that and say yes, because <laughs> I think it's convenient. Yes. I think, you know, Google, we're redesigning, you know, our, our, and it's the one thing that since I joined in 2006, like change has been a constant. So you always have to be flexible and nimble working at, at Google. And I guess when I was given the opportunity to look after, um, you know, some of our you know, largest content and media owners in the UK, you know, because I jumped at the chance. I think there is a great synergy between, you know, as I say, like The Guardian, who've got, you know, huge you know reach, you know, not just here in the UK, but also, you know, internationally, you know, the same for, you know, The Daily Mail and The Sun and, you know, many of our kind of like UK news titles, you know, and they are, yeah, that's premium brand safe inventory. And if you're Unilever or Procter & Gamble, you shouldn't have any problem advertising on any of those sites. And obviously, if you can do that, in collaboration, you know, with a retailer's first party data, then actually, that's a great advertising canvas or surface for, you know, for your brand. And so actually, I think, you know, there is a natural synergy between, you know, the the large kind of, you know, high reach content owners, news owners in the UK and retail media.
0: Yeah, there's premium inventory, premium sites, you know, brand safe and all those great things. So how is the relationship, though, with Google with these news sites? Obviously, there's been a history of some war of words I suppose for want of a better expression I mean how is that relationship now?
1: Well certainly all of my clients are absolutely delightful and you know they're very lent into you know into Google and obviously you know the relationship and the partnership that we have you know I'd like to think that you know we continue to challenge them you know on you know how we can help them ultimately you know drive more yield from their inventory. Yes obviously there is a dynamic between the news industry in the UK and the technology platforms I think that goes without saying but yeah no broadly speaking there's a very positive relationship that we have with all of our news publishers and as i say i think there's a huge amount of opportunity as the world has evolved there's a real requirement and need for you know good authoritative you know news journalism you know not just here in the uk but everywhere and as you say from a from an advertising standpoint all of you know the aforementioned partners you know work hard on you know on their editorial and you know they've got great content you know, they are there to, you know, deliver that great content to their users. A lot of it is ad supported if it's not behind a paywall, you know, and those are great advertising services for, you know, for any advertiser. And I think we're seeing a really good evolution of, you know, we're not just stuck in the sort of 300 by 250, you know, world of, you know, just sort of, you know, vanilla banners anymore. There's a lot of innovation, you know, in terms of, you know, video and rich media. So, yeah, I think it's an exciting space. And, yeah, and again, with the pandemic, you know, there has been a greater, more eyeballs on digital news than there's ever been. So, you yeah, I think it's, it's an exciting space. And, you yeah, as that evolves out into, you know, audio and video as well, I think, you know, there's still a long way to go before you hit anything that even looks close to a ceiling in terms of opportunity.
0: Well, I think we're sort of close to time, but, you know, it's been absolutely brilliant insight into your world. Really useful, I think, for people to hear how the tech's evolving let's say given your experience across the market and all those retailers and all those years if you were going to give a bit of advice to somebody setting out on their retail media journey today what would you advise them? I
1: mentioned it earlier i think don't be obsessed with retailer.com inventory yes it's important yes it's you know possibly a good place to start it's not the only place to start but yeah you know, if you think about the you know the supply budgets that you're bringing in and what does that supplier really want to do they want to acquire new customers they want to you know, reinvigorate lapsed customers, possibly. And yes, you can do some of those things on your own retailer.com. But actually, I think it's about making sure that you're helping your suppliers' advertising or messages show up, you know, at all stages of the customer journey. And ultimately, if it's around traffic acquisition, it's about, you know, net new customers or winning market share, then, you know, you really need to be working, you know, the top of the funnel just as hard as you are the bottom of the funnel. So whilst absolutely, you know, on-site, Search and on-site display are, you know, going to be absolutely key channels for, you know, for any retailer. They are very much kind of the bottom of the funnel. That's when the customer has already decided that they want to possibly shop with you as a retailer. But ultimately the the solutions that I think are really going to be incremental for, you know, for the supplier base is, you know is making sure that those messages are out there, you know, on the broader. Yeah, upper funnel media. So, you know, YouTube and socials and third party display and video connected TV, you know, even Google search and shopping where they haven't decided, you know, where they're going to be shopping from. So I think, you know, that would be my advice is don't obsess about, you know, on-site search or on-site display, obsess about the whole funnel and think about the full customer journey, not just the bit that's closest to the point of
0: conversion. Yeah. And I totally concur with that. Look, Henry. I won't take up any more of your time, but just to say a massive thank you for taking the time. As I said, it's been a brilliant insight into your world. What I often ask, but not always, but often ask and definitely ask you is whether you'll come back and join us again in, let's say, six months' time and see how things have evolved, because it'd be really interesting to see how you guys have evolved here and you know and what else is happening in the space. But yeah, as a final, will you? Well, say so first question is, will you? Yeah, happy to great and as i said final very big thank you to you for taking the time as i said it's been a brilliant insight so and hopefully we'll get to see you again soon it's just yet thanks henry the retail media moguls podcast is brought to you by platform 195 to learn more about platform 195 and how to connect retail media with intelligent marketing to accelerate growth visit platform 195.com and then make sure to search for retail media moguls in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at Platform195, thanks for listening.